Turn in your Bible, if you will, to the 73rd Psalm. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you about what took place a couple of weeks ago. We were celebrating our 60th anniversary, and we asked our folks who were there at that afternoon celebration to outline where the new building will be. Uh, the contractor had come in and marked, maybe you've seen those markings on the asphalt and around the property, marked where the perimeter of the new building would be, and you can see many of our folks were wearing blue because our 60th anniversary t-shirts were blue, so many of them are wearing blue, and they have done that for us. You've seen the renderings and the facade of the new buildings, maybe you haven't quite focused so much on the perimeters. This little diagram shows us the perimeter, which was being outlined by our people, that's pretty exciting stuff. This week we ought to see some fencing going up as they're anticipating some civil work to be done pretty soon. Uh, and basically what that means is our foot traffic is going to be a little bit hindered and then it's going to be a whole lot hindered in the weeks ahead. But it's exciting when we will drive by or maybe drive up on the campus and see that they have some of that center section blocked off. It's the beginning of the chaos I'm here to tell you it's exciting chaos but it's beginning uh, in the next few days so just be praying for those folks as they begin their work of construction a lot of equipment will be coming in over the next couple of three weeks and you'll see some dirt being pushed around and uh, we'll just rejoice in that God is giving us that opportunity to do so all right so you're going to need to have your Bibles open to the 73rd Psalm today because I did not print in the handout all of the text today there wasn't room in the handout to do that so you just open your bibles to psalm 73 and we'll talk about a very interesting psalm this is one that's maybe a little different than what we have been studying on sunday mornings throughout the psalms we've been hitting some of the great known psalms and those that just are go-to great songs of of praise and worship to the lord this one is very practical. It's, it's written out of a sense of struggle that a man by the name of Asaph has had. And uh, he is a leader, a musician who is leader of uh, the worshipers in the time of Israel. In fact, uh, he is one of the most well-known choir leaders of the people. Chronicles actually places him as the chief musician during the reign of Solomon. So this is, uh, this is an interesting individual that has been given a lot of talent and ability and leadership skill that God has given to him. And he's also a very prolific writer of psalms as well as a leader of those. And in this particular psalm, he is pondering. He's struggling. And he lets that struggle be known in the midst of the song. Now, it comes around to the right conclusions, but it's a strong song of struggle and it comes from this basic understanding that Asaph has of God, that God is a rewarder of those who are righteous and those who have a pure heart, and he is a just judge for those who are wicked and evil and rebellious against him. In fact, if you are very insightful to the scriptures, you probably know that that is a regular a theme throughout the Bible that's made, made many clear statements about that, that God is a rewarder to the righteous and he is a judge to the wicked. That's just the way it is. And uh, Asaph knows that. And yet he's struggling because what he sees around him doesn't quite measure up to that. The way he is summarizing life around him doesn't seem to equate to that truth. And the 73rd Psalm 
gives some words to that frustration that he senses maybe you and I sense that at times when we see evil dictators living a life of luxury I've been in Africa to countries where people are deeply devoted to Jesus Christ but suffering immensely and their leaders who are building vast wealth by stealing from the common people and the good of the world have all their luxury life and it makes me walk away from experiences like that and say God why do the evil prosper and the righteous suffer or maybe when you see drug cartels living in all their life of luxury you wonder how it is that God would not come against such wickedness or unscrupulous business people who build their fortunes on the backs of the vulnerable or conniving politicians who underhandedly and self-interestly have gain at the expense of people that they have vowed to actually serve all the law law-abiding hard-working people sometimes suffer injustice and we have to ask God why is it that way why do those who are trying to do good not receive good and why do those who are doing evil actually receive the opposite of that that's the quandary that he's in as I was just preparing for this message I came across the story of a 60 year old named Susan Dare Kukur she's a Christian gardener who works in her family gardens particularly the trees of the olives and the fruit trees in her family property She's a teacher, an Arabic teacher, trying to help students in her Armenian Christian village to do well as they try to advance to a degree. But she was living in Syria. Most of the Christians had fled Syria a long time ago. The Muslims had come in and invoked their hard life on Christians, brought heavy persecution to the, to the country, and even destroyed many of them in their places of worship. Derkakur was actually missing one day. And some of the villagers brought that to the attention of the priests, the Arminian Christian priests there. And he commissioned them out to look for her. And they found her crumpled body just outside the village. An autopsy later revealed that she had been tortured and gang raped for over nine hours before being stoned to death by those Muslims. I don't know about you, but in that sense, I can recognize Asaph's concern and probably the Armenian villagers' concern. God, where are you in the midst of such evil? Why does the evil around us seem to prosper and the good, the righteous, the pure-hearted around us seem to struggle? We all have some measure of that. Maybe it's a prayer that you prayed for grace or for healing or for restoration. And it's as if God did not hear you. And you might say, God, why did you not hear or why did you not answer that question? Why is it that I'm dealing with all these struggles and other people seem not to be dealing with struggles? Psalm 73 is one of those psalms that asks those questions. Now, the questions are not a bother to God. God is not taken aback when we have struggles like this. But God wants to be part of the answer. God wants to voice his wisdom in the midst of our struggles. And Asaph was understanding that. Now let's go to the chapter 73, beginning in verse 1. 
I'll just read some, pause a little along the way as we talk about uh, what he's dealing with. First is his heart concession. This is what he knows to be true. This is a settled truth within him. It's in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So Asaph begins the song with the truth of God's grace and blessings towards those who are pure in heart. And that is a repetitive theme throughout the scripture. In fact, in the most famous sermon ever preached, in Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this is a common theme throughout the scripture that God blesses those who are pure hearted towards him. And yet the psalmist is recognizing that it it doesn't quite seem to measure up. The goodness of God is extended to those who are singularly devoted and followers of him. Okay, that means that God is giving to them grace, not just common grace, but specific grace and goodness. His presence, his power, his wisdom, his purposes. But why is it that we also experience real calamity when others who are not pure in heart seem to not experience the calamity? So that heart concession, that that heart truth that is settled in him, he knows it to be true, it's repeated throughout the scripture, also brings some conflicting thoughts to him. Because what he sees around him doesn't quite measure to what is in his heart. So he picks up in verse 2, But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked for they have no pains until death their bodies are fat and sleek they are not in trouble as others are they are not stricken as the rest of mankind therefore pride is their necklace violence covers them as a garment their eyes swell out through fatness Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them. In other words, those who are followers of such wicked leaders, they turn to them and they find no fault in them. Verse 11, they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. So Asaph looks around and he notices other people and he almost stumbles and falls in his faith when he notices the wicked seem to be the one who are prospering. Not the righteous. Not people like him. What he is sensing is those who are evil around him, they are the prosperous. They tend to have little little suffering in their life. What it it appears to him is they live an abundant, trouble-free life. They're violent, they're prideful, they're excessive without regards to others. and, And they have a quest for more and more. And it seems to him that they get it. They get more and more. And that God doesn't apply this truth that those who are pure in heart are rewarded and the evil, wicked are judged. So he says that in their arrogance, they actually have outright disdain for God. They actually speak words in opposition to God. They question the existence of God. 
they say things like this if God is the most high and if God is all knowing why do we get away with such wickedness you see where his heart his mind is in conflict together Asa's heart certainly believes in verse 1 that God is for the pure hearted that he's going to reward the pure in heart but he's struggling with the mind of verse 12 why is it that the wicked always seem to have it easy why is it that the wicked always increase in their riches and that brought real conflict in his mind now when the heart and the mind aren't jiving you got this settled truth of God and it doesn't equate with what you're experiencing in the world which brings a lot of different thoughts then that can bring an inner turmoil or an inner challenge and he is definitely challenged look at verse 13 all in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning so he's seeing the prosperity of the wicked and their seemingly life of ease and then the psalmist considers his own life and he just pauses to reckon I've sought to live a pure life I've sought to have a clean heart I've sought to have clean hands he has been through the purification rites over and over again he's been in the baptismal waters the mitzvah he, he has washed his hands ceremonially he, his heart has been inclined to live with righteousness he has tried to pursue the way of God and the commands of God he, he believes that then on all of that work and effort verse 13 and 14 that he has been naive and that in his naivete he is now wondering has it all been in vain because all this that I've been doing I have the hardships that I am suffering now listen this isn't just any hardship this is his understanding that God is bringing the hardship to him that every morning he struggles and he battles now catch this what he's seeing of the wicked is that they seem to be prospering and what he catches in his own life is every morning he wakes up to the rebuke and the discipline and the chastening of God the more he tries to live out a life of heart purity the more he tries to do good with his hands the more God brings discipline in his life and he's wondering if it's all in vain you ever had those kind of thoughts that kind of inner dialogue that kind of tension and struggle perhaps some of you have that going on right now you sense that God's hand has brought pain and suffering to your life and that could be a reality and if it is a reality I can tell you it will end with your good it will end with his glory and with your good Proverbs 3 11 and 12 says this my son do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights now that proverb is so important to us that it's repeated in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews as well. So it's as if the Lord says, hey, I know that you're struggling with this. I'm giving you this truth in the Old Testament. And when you read in the New Testament, you're going to find the same truth. 
So God wants all of his people, be it the Old Testament, the New Testament, the 21st century, wants all of his people to understand this, that God works for our good. The discipline is out of love. The reproof is out of love. The chipping away in our life is in love. The pruning in our life is in love. He prunes us that we might have more abundant fruit and what he was doing, which Asaph did not understand, what he was doing is he was molding him and he was creating something fresh and new. The, the internal challenge can be one, but it must be understood that God is always acting in love and grace towards us. It may seem as the wicked are getting ahead in the world and that the righteous are lagging but in the end it will prove to be untrue God is for us and then he comes to a truthful clear thought and he starts speaking of that clarity in verse 15 he said if I had said I will speak thus in other words if I speak like them in all their arrogance and all their questioning of God if I doubt and speak of that doubt about God and his character he said if I had said I will speak thus I would have betrayed the generation of your children but when I thought how to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end truly you set them in a slippery place in slippery places you make them fall to ruin how they are destroyed in a moment swept away utterly by terrors like a dream when one awakes O Lord when you rouse yourself you despise them as phantoms so in retrospect Asaph is grateful that he did not externally communicate what was being internally dialoguing in his heart and in his mind. I'm sure you have been aware of the last few weeks and a few months, there have been some who have been conflicted in their heart and mind, challenged internally, wondering if their faith has been in vain, and certainly those who walk away from the faith of Jesus Christ, their faith has been in vain, but they have been doing that publicly. They've been struggling and letting the struggle be a public event. In the wisdom that God gave to Asaph at this moment, he says, I'm grateful that I didn't do that. I'm grateful that I didn't say those things. Because as you remember, Asaph is a worship leader. He is one that is a position of leading others to the truths of God. Now, we wrongly have this mindset that the person who stands on the podium, the one who proclaims behind the podium the word of God is the theologian on staff, and the one who sings is not the theologian. But as the Lord is my witness, Kevin is meant to be as deep a theologian as Randy the preacher to the people. There's as much truth that is proclaimed in the word of God through the message of the pastor as it is in the song lyrics of the worship leader. It's essential that those who stand on the platform are deeply rooted in right theology and communicate that theology in words and in song. And Asaph, by God's grace, came to that conclusion. 
that he is meant to be a proclamator of truth and where he is wrestling and where he is struggling he need not let that be in public he needed to take that where the answers would be found and the answers would not be found in a public discourse on social media or any other place the answers would be found in the sanctum of God in the closeness of God in the sanctuary of God where the voice of God would be sought and the truth of God would be clinged, uh, clung to so entering the sanctuary of God he purposed to worship God and to know God and his truth in the present situation but what he understood from God was a much broader perspective God did not tell him specifically why he allowed the wicked to prosper in the day what God did was allowed Asaph to read the end of the book he allowed him to know the last few pages in the course of the ages the conclusion was understood and when the conclusion is understood the end is known then all the mystery in between sort of goes away I don't read for fun oftentimes but when I'm on vacation I do I will usually take a book that helps me to grow in my faith in Christ and I read that and along the same lines I read on the beach under an umbrella or under a tent a book of fiction and my choice narrative would be a mystery that has some thrill to it I like to read along the book and uh, think okay I know I'm about 75 80 pages through and I know who's done it and then you flip about 125 pages in and you think well my goodness how I was off she didn't do it and you get onto somebody else's path and you think okay now I think I got it I know who's behind it all and then you come to discover that he's not behind it there's just twists and turns along the way in this thriller as you're trying to figure out who has done it and it's usually not to the last few pages of the book that you discover actually who it is that has done the deed. And then all the mystery and all the twist and all the turns make sense. And you realize the error of your ways as you thought you knew going along the book what was going in the story but you realize after the book is finished how it all fits together and how you might have been off course along the way but now you know the conclusion when you know the end the middle makes sense and what Asaph knew is that God revealed an end to him it didn't make sense to him in the middle of this twist and turns that the wicked seemed to prosper and they seemed to live their life as they want it without pain and without suffering but in the end he recognized what actually had transpired. Maybe that's where your confusion is. You're seeing all the wicked building up all these things, and you hadn't given consideration that their entire life, what they have been building, will be swept away by a just and holy God who sweeps it all out from under them. And in all their pride and arrogance and all their building up, God will destroy them in a single moment. And he will give all the treasures of all the universe to those who are brothers and sisters of King Jesus. And Asaph saw the end. And when he saw the end, it brought clarity to the middle. 
You just have to trust God. That he who is the Alpha and the Omega will reveal the end to you and it will be glorious. And sure, you may suffer and you may think that all this life in Christ and purposing in righteousness could be in vain. But I'm here to tell you from one who has read the end, it's not in vain. God is at work. And all that he is doing today will have an eternal consequence for good for those who are faithful with a pure heart and for justice for those who are rebellious, unrighteous, and wicked. The end is coming. And that brought Asaph to a conclusion, a confession as he concludes. Verse 21. When my soul was embittered and when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am contented with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. With the revelation of God, Asaph understood and confessed that his mind and his emotions have been far from God and he had distanced himself from God. He says, I've acted as a beast toward you. And I want you to think of beast as a ignorant animal grazing in the field. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar was one who was arrogant and haughty? He was wicked towards the things of God. And he had just a lavish life. You remember all this? And he stands out one day and just in an arrogant and prideful way says, look at all that I've built. And God immediately brought humility to his life, remember? And he cast him into the field and he lived like a beast, an ignorant beast. Anybody ever had an ignorant beast? I grew up on a small farm with my family and we had cows and horses and that kind of stuff and some of them were ignorant. Some pretty smart. Some you could lead around. Others ignorant. And I've got one in mind right now. Uh, my mom reminded me after the first service, she came up to me. She said, you do remember that that particular cow you're talking about, his mother was also his sister. You do remember that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, he would typically just stand there you could get the others to come where you wanted them to come through one gate to get to a, one pasture to another and just shake a bucket of grain and they would follow you pour it out on the ground they're all happy but this one just stood there slobber dropping just standing there ignorant in the end Asaph says that's like me like an ignorant beast to you 
I thought I was all arrogant and all-knowing, had come to conclusion, but in the end it proved that I was ignorant and acted like a dumb cow in front of you. But now notice the contrast, because here's what's happening. Asaph is seeing the wicked around him, and he changes what he thinks, what he feels, and what he does based on what he sees other people doing. Contrast that to God who has Asaph standing before him as an ignorant beast, and God does not change his character in how he responds to Asaph. In fact, he says, and yet I was still by your side. You still held on to me. You still guided me. You still were with me, and you were bringing me into glory. So you might be completely off your track you might be completely out of the truths that God has given to you and the things that you have known to be true from the Bible because you have seen some activities of other people you have surmised wrongly I can tell you that God does not change in his attitude towards you he is still in love with you he still draws near to you he still will guide you he still calls out to you and he still wants to be with you come to him that's what Asaph is understanding. And man, it just comes out of him in worship when he comes to that conclusion. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Lord, I've been desiring all this stuff that the wicked have in the end. All I want is you. And so he just proclaims worship. There's nothing that I desire but you, God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. He came to a wondrous conclusion, which brings me to a conclusion as well. What is the great struggle of your mind and heart? What are you struggling with? Is there an unfairness, a hurt, a sorrow? A disappointment, a loss that you blame God for? What happens in the morning when you thought you were going to receive God's grace and you do find God's chastening? Do you view that rightly? Are you wrongly concluding that this whole Christian life thing, it just doesn't seem to be worth it? Are you concluding in such ignorance have you accepted something as fact without seeking God's perspective the all-knowing all-seeing Alpha and Omega has all truth have you concluded about something in your life without asking him what is truth is there a hurt or a sorrow, a suffering that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of worship of God? It may be the loss of someone dear. It may be the brokenness of a relationship. It may be the financial collapse. It may be the hardship struggles of life. It may be that you got looked over. It may be that you're just utterly disappointed and astounded. And that keeps you from worship. Oh, God has not left your side. He is guiding you. Would you go to him? For Asaph, it was entering into the sanctuary of God. 
the place where he knew God's presence would be. And he quietened himself and he allowed God to speak to him. For us, it'll be without the television, it'll be without the podcast, it will be without social media. It'll be you and God and your Bible. And he will speak to you by his spirit and through his word. And in your understanding, you'll have greater truth. You'll have an understanding of the end and how the righteous God brings conclusion with equity. And it will open you to worship him more fully. You can have freedom today. You can have the freedom that Asaph had. You can experience glory today and you can experience the glory of God when he brings you into his glorious presence. And it can start today. Oh Lord, I pray for those of us who have struggled. We've held on to truth uh, most of our life from your word and yet we have been struggling in our thoughts and maybe challenged deeply within about what we have seen around us and we have made conclusions that proved to be wrong in light of the end of the age so I pray for your wisdom I pray for your discernment and your guidance I pray Lord that the summary judgment that some have made would be set aside and the conclusion of the Alpha and the Omega would be brought forth and that would bring our greater hope and our satisfaction our joy would be restored and our treasured life with Christ would be elevated I pray Lord that it would give us a different perspective that our trust would be in Jesus for it's so sweet to trust him that our eyes wouldn't be on the chaos in the world the pleasures of the wicked but would be on the author and the finisher of our faith the Lord Jesus Christ as we turn our eyes to him and I pray that those who do so would be utterly filled with joy and with great hope reset us I pray in our mind and heart where it's needed in the name of Jesus I pray amen I'm going to sing a combination